1: on the page, get it out of your head, and on the page, get it out
2: of your head, and on to the page. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer after months and months and months off is Nick Lexi. How are you?
1: Good. How's everyone doing? Great to be back. I love the... Beautiful brand new studio. The
2: brand new. Oh my god! Studio, I'm so excited. Can you like? Can people see the grin on my face? Do you think? Just I sitting think here. I think they can.
1: I think it's. Uh, t- I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. This is not a video podcast. <laughs> I mean, I've got brand new white walls and TVs and chairs everywhere. It's beautiful.
2: It's Thank yeah. you. No more Seven Eleven. Sunlight
1: everywhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and joining me as uh, the first producer. I mean, sorry, we have screwed it it up already. First (laughs) guest in the first podcast in the new space is an old friend of mine. Many years. I'm so, so happy that you're here. Um, It is Stephen Wolfson. Hello, Stephen. Hello, my dear. How are you? (laughs) Good. Feeling a little giggly, but but, but good. Good. Um, Stephen is uh, a playwright and a screenwriter and an incredible teacher, and uh, we are going to talk to Steven all about that I want to make sure though I find out what Nick's been doing in these past couple of months because you know you're you're the big APA guy now the the assistant agent dude and I was just wondering how that's going
1: Well you know what I'm I've been interviewing I've been looking uh looking to get out <gasps> What boss, you can't you can't, you can't say that on,
2: you can't say that on the podcast can you say that on the oh, podcast I can
1: say that on, I can very much say that my boss sat me down he said hey you know you've been here a year what do you want to do I said, you know, kind of production development. He said, all right, well, let's start uh, getting you interviewing, getting you out there.
2: Wow, so, that's, that's so, a really uh, good boss. Yeah.
1: So, you know, he, he kind of figured I didn't want to be an agent. And I don't have that mindset and that kind of passion for selling projects. Nine to five. But, um, no, it's been great. I've been literally interviewing everywhere.
2: Wow.
0: and Getting
1: uh, turned down everywhere. <laughs> so, Nick, what, what do
0: you want to do? What, what would be your dream situation?
1: Uh, to produce one day or and or... Uh, or be a creative executive uh, with a small and growing production company. Cool.
2: It sounds like we we should we should put in a call <laughs> to Andrea. What do you think? Exactly. Yeah, Steven Stephen and I uh, met when we were readers. In our mid twenties. Oh, that's right. Story yeah. analysts. Thank you for thank you for saying that. I'm glad somebody still uses that term. Story analysts at Amblin and DreamWorks. And, yeah. And uh, and yeah, we were in our mid twenties. Yes. And I was teaching some little like how to be a script reader class out of my living room. And Stephen went, "Hey, you could really you're doing that?" I'm like, "I'm gonna teach something."
0: <laughs> that's true. <It's> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely true.
2: And that's how it all began. And, uh, and Stephen did go on to teach something because he became, oh man, this is so faint. Why did I print it out so faint? Why am I so blind? Um, he became a screenwriting and playwriting and creative writing instructor at the Writers Program at UCLA, and he was honored as Instructor of the Year. So that's how much he went on to teach.
0: <laughs> this, this is true, and I think I have one of the honors of maybe only second to have created the most new classes for the program as well so i take that as a great honor so
2: what's what's the uh what's your favorite title that you that you came up
0: with oh uh, gosh i don't know i think some of the titles are, are, are dreadful you know i mean you know i think it's less the title you know the first class that i ever created for ucla was a class on writing dialogue and that came about because when I approached uh, Linda Venus, who runs the program, I said, I- "I'm amazed that you don't have a dialogue writing class." She said, "Well, we don't." I said, "Why don't you create?" She said, "Why don't you create?" It? I said, "Okay." And so, sort of, that started the process of looking at the program and thinking about my experience having been in graduate school of like what were the classes I wish I had had? You know, I mean, I loved my graduate graduate school experience. I mean, gone to UCLA and masters in playwriting, but I felt like you know. In general, in teaching writing, there are certain, uh, especially certain focus that s- doesn't always get the time that it deserves. Things like dialogue.
2: I remember one great. I, I remember calling you and saying, uh, "I'm teaching for another organization." This is before I went out on my own, and um, you know, there's there's no attention to dialogue. You got you got a tip for me because right. there's there's some some approach, and you were the one, and I've hopefully fully credited you over the years, who said. Um, tell, uh, uh, explain to people that every character is sort of like a musical instrument. Exactly. And that if you think about what musical instrument they represent and they're writing dialogue, there's going to be music that's happening. You
0: remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, that's so funny. Because that's, it that's, was wonderful. That's awesome. It's a that's great awesome.
2: piece of advice.
0: And I'll tell you, you know, the amazing thing is that when I started teaching that class and I, and I taught it a number of times, I would have instructors come up to me and say, how the hell do you do 10 weeks on dialogue? You know, the instructor would say, I do one night on that. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm telling you, I could do 20 weeks on dialogue. I mean, there's so much, you know, whether it's in terms of screenwriting or playwriting, even for prose writers as well, there is an infinite amount to say about the process of writing dialogue.
2: I, so. I agree with you. I think it's, I teach one class on it, not yeah, 12 weeks yeah. on it, but, uh, but it's, it's I think, my favorite class to oh, teach.
0: It's awesome. And I think, you know, to your listeners that are screenwriters, it is your calling card. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remind people that when I was a reader... Um, your eye goes to the center of the page and at the center of the page is your dialogue. And a lot of times we only think about dialogue in the context of how it defines a playwright, which it does in a profound way. But for screenwriters, it's it's huge. It's huge. You know, the joke I would make is no one hires you because of your scene direction. You will get hired because of your dialogue, your, your ability to capture voices in that way. So. Well,
2: that's interesting because, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm such a scene direction geek. and uh, But I think that you have... I think that you have a real point because when a reader is busy, they really need that dialogue to entertain them. That's exactly because right. Because they'll sort of check in with the scene direction and go, "Okay, I know what's happening here. Right. I'm not going to to spend time with every loving detail because I know what I'm seeing, and now entertain me, yeah. right?" right. You no, know, this does come a little bit out of your out of your playwriting background, and um, uh, Stephen was actually a founding member of the Mark Taper Forum's Mentor Playwrights Project, which is really really huge his original plays have been produced and workshopped at the mark taper forum taper Two, the getty museum tell tell me where else because it was cut off on my bio
0: Uh, you know recently actually last year i had plays produced for the first time in europe which was great i didn't get a chance to go this time um but it was a play that i had developed with a theater company in portland um, and had gotten to see one of the first productions in portland and then they took that to europe to Berlin. Uh, and other other places in Europe as well. What, what's but, the
2: title of it, so people? Can uh, write it's it?
0: called "The Absence of Wanting." The oh. absence of wanting, very Buddhist, I guess, in the title. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I had plays produced in, in lot, lots of theater companies, so um,
2: that's pretty incredible. And then also, you've made you made the jump to screenwriting. Um, you wrote and co-produced the critically acclaimed feature. Gang Tapes. You also uh, wrote the independent romantic comedy Dinner and Driving. Gang Tapes was was, was with Lionsgate, though.
0: Yeah, it was, and it, it was. It, you you couldn't choose to uh, Both experiences were wonderful experiences. But you're talking about one where something like Dinner and Driving, which is a small romantic comedy, sort of I would maybe in the vein of Woody Allen. Gang Tapes being a coming of age story in South Central Los Angeles, cast in South Central Los Angeles with actual either gang members or former gang members. Um,
2: and when you look at Steven Wolfson, you really think I, I, yeah, gang exactly. members in South Central. Exactly. You know,
0: this <laughs> Jewish boy is coming in. And, you, know, you know, But they were both terrific experiences. And I think that, you know, I've written other things that, that have sold, but to have these two projects be the two projects that actually got made as films, uh, you know, I think both of them represent me as a writer, as a writer in two very different ways. So.
2: So, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the difference between playwriting and screenwriting. Sure. We don't, we have not talked often enough um, about, uh, just, just about playwriting in, in general. We were, we were fortunate enough to have the writer of Utopia on and now I see that that's going to be a awesome. movie. I just awesome. saw the trailer for that. So, so we talked way in, in the past about it. But it's, it's such a, a, an interesting scripted art form and again, seems to To write on the dialogue, yes,
0: yes. I mean, here's the thing with it, and in the context of teaching screenwriting for a number of years, you know, when when students come to me and say, "Okay, what's the initial advice you can give me as a screenwriter?" I say, "Go take a playwriting class, Mm -hmm. study acting." You know, the the you know it's come up, and I and I've been on panels, and they've talked about you know, well, what are the fundamental differences between playwriting and screenwriting? I said, "Look, at its core, it's dramatic writing." It's creating scenes, characters, wants, action, conflict, all the things that we do. The fundamental difference is what is the ultimate form it's ending up in. You know, in playwriting, obviously, we're writing for live performance. We're thinking theatrically. We're thinking about the experience that one is going to have with the text and performance in a live venue. In film, we're thinking cinematically. But the basis of what we do as screenwriters is rooted in playwriting. It is not by accident that many of the greatest screenwriters, and almost all of the great teleplay writers i mean especially the people that are working television today have their roots in the theater have their roots in playwriting and so you know the interesting thing as in teaching creative writing playwriting screenwriting is the idea of going back to the core element of scene construction and i think you know this was another thing you know being at UCLA and saying like look we need more classes that teach people how to write great scenes we have lots of classes they teach the React structure. We have mm-hmm. lots of crap. And, and, and I'm, I think structure is invaluable. But I think what's tended to sometimes happen in the context of teaching screenwriting is we've become so obsessed with structure that we've, we've sort of put the cart before the horse. We're asking people to, to think about their story and think about their structure. And yet once that's all down, and let's say that's the most awesome story and structure, we haven't been giving them the tools to do the fundamentals of screenwriting, which is scene construction, scene writing. That's why I go back to playwriting. You know, often in my screenwriting classes, we don't read just scenes from screenplays. We read scenes from plays as well. You know, I say everything that I teach in all these classes that I teach, read Hamlet. It's there. All I'm doing is shamelessly ripping off from Hamlet. It already exists there. People ask me about uh, books, recommendations for books on screenwriting. You know, look, Pilar, you wrote a wonderful book that I love very much, and I brought a copy with
2: if me today. If a butt follows this, you're out, you're out of the podcast. <laughs> no, we no, just bleep him no. out.
0: The butt is not to you. The butt <laughs> is to going to Barnes & Noble and, and have, actually having been sent a lot of these books, and unfortunately thinking a lot are like reading the instructions of a toaster manual or something. <laughs> you know, I, like I have written for years, I can't make sense of what these people are talking about. <laughs> so I'll say, well, look, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about potentially the book's that would help you as a screenwriter? Mm-hmm. Well, two come to mind. One is An Actor Prepares by Stanislavski. Every screenwriter day should, should go out and buy this book. Go to Samuel French, get on Amazon and get this because all the fundamentals, the context of Super One and the context of action conflict, Stanislavski was talking about over 100 years ago to actors in, in Russia. The other book that's a lesser known book it's called Backwards and Forwards by David Ball. Have you ever read this book? No, you I haven't. Go get a copy today okay. order it. David Ball, and I don't know him personally. This, I, I literally stumbled upon this book. It's, it's a tiny little book. You could read it probably in an hour or so. It was written originally, as far as I know, David Ball was an instructor of theater back east, teaching theater. And he noticed that, that students were struggling with text. They were struggling with understanding plays. And he said, well, I'm going to write a book it really breaks down the essence of dramatic writing and he wrote this book backwards and forwards which is phenomenal and what it does is again all the things that we do as screenwriters in terms of cause and effect triggers action conflict the idea that in essence all we're writing are stories of family and how the family is you know even if you're writing a story like glengarry glen ross or boogie nights i mean these are family stories at their core um is found in this book. Now, again, this book was written to teach someone how to read a play, and yet the context of the book is really teaching us as writers that that the problem often is that we overcomplicate the process, and the goal should be, you know, maybe it's a, a bit of the Buddhist to me is to like sort of like let's streamline this, let's break this down to its core, and let's not. Throw in everything in the kitchen sink. Let's go down to the core of what ultimately is the story that you're trying to tell here. And with the least amount of fancy-pantsy sort of crap put on top, how do we accomplish that? How do we accomplish what your… You know, often in my classes, I say that the, the, the fundamental difference in writing is between intent and execution. You have a beautiful intent when you set out to write a screenplay. The challenge is how does your execution match? What is the intention that you set out to write? That's what we, you know, hopefully is my job to sort of put people on that path. But ultimately, the goal of all writers how does my execution match my intent?
2: I'm glad that you're mentioning simplicity and focus when it comes to to teamwork. Because especially when we think about plays, a lot of times people stay away from the theater because they feel that that fancy pants stuff that you just talked about, it's all going to be sort of thrown at them and they're going to feel dumb because they didn't get it. And when you think of the best plays, it, it, you don't feel like right. that. Anybody who has to do that is, is just a bad play. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you an example, which is, you know, when, you know, as years ago when I was one of the founding members, Mark Taper formed uh, the Mentor Playwrights Project, which was a great, I mean, really should be a model for a lot of the ways in which we teach writing, which was the idea was, let's find some, at the time I was, a young and up-and-coming playwright. Let's find a group of young and up-and-coming playwrights in Los Angeles and let's give them the opportunity to work with the best teacher playwrights there are in the world. We're going to bring these people in, and you're going to have workshops with these people. I mean, phenomenal playwrights who had been teaching for years uh, throughout throughout the world. Um, and we're going to sit down, and we're not going to sit... It's not going to be a lecture series. It's going to be all exercise-based. So for the multiple years that I was there, and not only in the development of my own plays, but getting the opportunity to learn all these amazing exercises. Now, I bring this up because, in essence, I was... You know, I was getting a stipend from the Mark Taper Forum. I was being treated very well by the Mark Taper Forum. And part of that was to get free tickets to plays at the Mark Taper Forum. <laughs> okay. My wife and I would go to these plays. I'm going to get in trouble with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. My wife and I would go to these plays. And at intermission, we'd look at each other and say, Sushi? Sushi was, are we staying for the second act or are we going to sushi in Little Tokyo?
2: That's kind of of a relief
0: that (laughs) that you've
2: been there too. Oh yeah, constantly. Most of the time, was it it sushi? Like, What was the percentage of sushi? Uh, I would
0: say too often it was sushi was the problem. There were times, you know, and, and I had the opportunity to see plays at their beginning, especially something phenomenal like Angels in America by Tony Kushner, which again is another book that I say to all screenwriters, it's a play, but you should read it. There's so much learn from Kushner's text, who's now, of course, Tony Kushner's a huge screenwriter. Um but yeah too often I think it was what you're talking about. It was this sort of I'm gonna curse now bullshit, highbrow, you know, overly intellectualized, no true emotion to this. And you're like, what is this? Well how am I what is my entry point into this play? You know, I don't understand what the hell is going on here. It was not because of the production and was definitely not because of the actors, because the actors were stellar. It was a fundamental problem with the text itself. The text was just simply riddled with too many ideas, everything in the kitchen sink in it. So
2: Now, let's go back to Stanislavski for a second. Yeah. What do you believe that he teaches
0: actors yeah.
2: that is a, a, just tell me a couple of great tools for writers?
0: Okay, well, let me. I'll point to the fundamental one from Stanislavski, which is what's called super objective, which mm-hmm. in my classes I call super one, which is, you know, you know, often it comes up in the context of writing in these different forms, whether it's playwriting or screenwriting or teleplaywriting, which again, it shares a common god, as we'll say, which is the, the basis of dramatic writing. And that common god is the idea of this sort of what I call a cosmology. When you write, you're creating, you're a world creator, you're a universe creator, you're creating something from nothing, and that's what's so magical about the process. But in doing that, in the same way that you think about the the Big Bang or the creation of the universe, you understand that there are some fundamental elements that made the universe possible and continue to make the universe possible. It's the same thing in writing. So one of the things that I talk about that is directly lifted from Stanislavski, again, is this idea that characters possess a super objective, a super want. There is something that your protagonist or your lead character, your whatever you want to call it, wants more than anything else and thus makes this story possible. We go through our lives often not with super wants. Our day-to-day process, you, Pilar, and Nick, you guys had wants and everything like that, but oh, beyond that is this greater want, which you may possess and you may spend certain days striving for, but at the core of a great play or a great film... It is about that is about the quest to satisfy that super objective.
2: Now does is the character always aware of that super objective or is it something that he or she discovers
0: throughout okay. the play? Yeah, I would I would make the argument that, you know, and th- this is sort of goes back to then sort of structural idea, which is I think that once the inciting incident occurs, mm-hmm. they are aware of it. At least the way I teach it is Uh, that there is super want and there is inner need. In super want, I can sit the character down and say, hey, Indiana Jones, hey, whoever you are, what is it you want? (laughs) Indiana Jones should be able to tell me, I want the Ark of the Covenant. This is why this movie exists and everything. Can Indiana Jones at that moment truly understand his deep inner need? Probably not. You know, Um, And the interesting sort of juxtaposition that happens in dramatic writing, again, whether you're writing for film, television, or theater, is this constant tension between the conscious want of a character and the deeper subconscious inner need of what's really going on. And the example that I give often in my classes, and it gets laughs and it gets a sort of heated discussion, is I say, why would anyone want to be the president of the United States? Let's really think about this. In the context of what's happened over the last several elections, why would that be your want? Clearly, there are people that want this. What I think it raises is the deeper need that potentially is being not satisfied by these people. Power,
2: control, exactly.
0: Father issues. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not by accident that we had a president that was, you know, the son of a president and someone running against him who was the son of a very famous politician. So, you know, the fascinating thing I think in the context of that type of character is not just what is driving their conscious want to become president and all the actions that they would take to become president. But underlying that, what potential inner need is really making this possible?
2: You now, know? In, in a, I wonder if plays and movies go wrong when they start telegraphing that need too early. Absolutely. At, at what point structurally do you find is sort of like the sweet spot for starting to either reveal it to the audience or start, start having the character begin to get it?
0: I mean, it's a good question. I, I, I don't think you know, and, and, and I always say this, which is I could lay out 10 amazing great screenplays that we all think are beautifully written, and they all sort of approach, though there's certain uh, structural similarities that happen, they approach them in very different ways. Mm-hmm. So to that question, I don't know if there's a sweet spot. I will say this, is that when I'm teaching sort of classic 3X structure, which again, now I'll bring up another book, which probably your listeners have. Already read, which is going back to Aristotle and the Poetics, which you know I think what's invaluable about that is finding a good translation of the Poetics, because there's a zillion of them. Some are awful, and some are, some are better than others. All we do as screenwriters and threat structures, we're just simply doing what Aristotle said 2,000 years ago, which is finding a very definitive section for the beginning, middle, end of the text. In the idea of thinking about the end of that middle section, which is our Act Two in screenwriting, you know, I'll say to my students. Often, this is a place in storytelling, not just in screenwriting, but in storytelling for thousands of years, in which the character has an epiphany. They have finally a realization that the want really wasn't what it was all about, that it was truly about the deeper need. And that's so perhaps one could think about that the journey of Act Two is getting to that epiphany, earning that epiphany, so that the audience believes, oh, I get it now. They needed to go through the fire, they needed to go through the entire journey of Act Two to get to that moment of and the, realizing. And the
2: events have to make a case for it. Absolutely. not just. And this is where, where conversation, when you talk about dialogue, you're not necessarily talking about conversation. No. It's not a series of conversations no. that get you to an epiphany. It's a series of events that happen to have people sometimes talking at the same time right. <laughs> right. that get you to that epiphany.
0: Right, yeah.
2: Um, I also think that it, it's, it's not a, also just that the, the main character has to earn it, but the audience has to earn it sometimes. I think sometimes we know too soon what a character needs yeah. and I love sort of peeling back the layers and going oh wait a minute right. this is what they really need sort of sort of you know analyzing them right. along the way
0: look i mean the thing is is I mean, and the, this comes up often which is you don't want the audience ahead of the characters i mean there's there's rare instances that that may be uh, something in terms of the creation of in certain types of horror genre and everything but for the most part we're on a journey with the character as the As the character has these actions, like you said, and has these realizations about the actions, we're like, oh my God, this is is amazing. You know, I say to my students always, the coolest moment is, let's say they give me a treatment, they give me a screenplay, or they give me a novel, or whatever it may be. I should have the experience as a reader that a moment happens that I never could have predicted. Yeah. You know, if I could read the first 10 pages of your script and guess every single beat that is to follow, you failed. And this is a hard thing to say, but it's true. And I, I've suffered from this, which is, you know, all I've done is played out these very obvious beats that were based upon the premise and based upon the first 10 pages. Let's try something different. Let's say that there's the possibility that there are going to be things that transpire in the screenplay that, again, no one could have guessed in a million years that that ultimately is where you're going to go. For the reader, ultimately for the film audience or for the television audience, that's going to be the most satisfying
2: I, I so agree with you. And I get, you know, now that I'm not a reader anymore, like I, not, right. now that I'm not a story analyst for the studios anymore, right. and neither are you, I wonder if you get as frustrated as I do when my students and clients go out in the world and they have created something unique. And then they do get notes based on the fact that certain things did not happen at certain points. It's almost like, wait a minute, this was unpredictable. right? You know, and I, I it, it kind of kills me. Right. Like I know you want something special. Why are you giving them notes toward making it just like everything else? And I'm not saying all script notes are bad by any means. Right. You and I've written them. Right. Um, yeah. But but there seems to have been a trend to go back to conventional
0: uh I structure think, and I, th- writing. I think it varies. You know, I think it, it's dependent, you know. I mean Nick, it was funny they were saying about wanting to become a creative executive. And look, having worked in both film and television and developed pilots and developed screenplays. It's a, it's, a, it's a really unique role, the idea of being a CE, which is that there are some who are dreadful and there are some that are amazing, that really have a passion for what they do and really don't want to do what you're talking about here, which is this idea that we're going to sort of just stick in a cookie cutter box. I mean, you know, having had uh, written two pilots, one of them actually made, the, the challenge was, let's think about what you got excited about in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, okay. let's
2: go back and to that. Let's
0: go back to <laughs> that. And it's so frustrating because you've gone through this whole development process. You've heard 6,000 different people telling you what to do, and often they're contradicting one another. And then the thing that can drive you crazy craziest is, okay, the thing that now you don't particularly like about the pilot was what you asked me to do. And had we simply stuck with what was different, unique about this, we wouldn't be facing this problem now down the line.
2: Which you take a, you take what's different about it, and you say, "Okay, that's special. We're not going to change it, but we're going to clarify what's around totally. it to make sure that everybody notices it. So it doesn't just feel like an accident, a, a, a piece of mess. Right. And uh, and instead of getting rid of it altogether and making making it uniform. Yeah. Know, tell me a little bit about about the differences, though, with playwriting and screenwriting, because I I, I sometimes give if writers know, saying this is a great scene if it was a play. But to me, it feels like we should have changed up the location, we should be moving time, we should be intercutting with another character. It feels like everybody's staying in the same place. would you say that's the biggest difference or are there, are there others that people should?
1: That's
0: definitely one of the differences. Of. I mean, look, like, you know, in what you're talking about for me is class again, back to classic scene construction mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm teaching, actually created another new class for UCLA, which is the idea of how to teach screenwriting to prose writers, mm-hmm. you know, and the idea is to look at what's really wonderful about their uh, nonfiction or creative nonfiction and be able to incorporate that into the form of screenwriting. These are people who have never in a screenplay before, yet are actually really badass, amazing writers. And so the idea is like, I don't want to shut out what makes you a great writer, but I want you to understand what the form is. Okay, so in teaching the form, I'll say we read a bunch of scenes. And we not only read some scenes from plays, but we'd obviously read a lot of scenes from screenplays. And I'll say, L- look, at, look at how this scene works. Let's look at the most basic thing. You and I know, having read a zillion scripts, psychologically once you get past the three page mark in a screenplay scene i think personally either the scene's too long or you have to have a justification narratively and structurally why is this scene going over three pages it has to earn it it yeah. has to earn it there are so many great screenplays that the scenes are one page or wow a page and a half or whatever and then suddenly there's a three or four or five page scene and then you're like i get it i understand it this is midpoint this is A major turning point in the character, whatever it is, you know, just the idea in in screenwriting that uh, motion, creative momentum, the way in which a story moves forward is super important. You know, now this is not to say it's not important in, in a play, but we understand we go sit down in the theater and the curtain comes up. And for the most part, there's one set there to begin with. And however long the playwright wants to engage us in that moment, they can. They can because we're not cutting to anything. I mean, it's an interesting is that you watch a play and if your eyes start to drift to the rafters or the lighting rig, the person sitting next to you, you know, you're not engaged.
2: Right, right.
0: But I mean, you know, look, one of the greatest productions of Shakespeare I ever saw had no set, had no costumes, had no swords, but it was brilliant. It was great because of the theatrical experience of what was going on on that stage. So, yeah, I mean, you know, talking about if we want to sort of go to the the basic obvious differences between playwriting and screenwriting, in the context of scene writing, you gotta think cinematically, and you gotta think about the motion that happens in in film, which is a different experience. I sit in the theater, you know, I'm engaged in this light that's emanating off the screen and everything. Again, different than this very communal experience that I'm having with the actors on a stage. I mean, the play that I just did, the one that went to Europe, that was commissioned in Portland, it's a one-person play. 90 minutes long, she plays 12 different characters. Wow. And you'd think like, okay, and it's a, it's a huge amount of text. I mean, it's, it's just a tour de force to see one person remember all this text, sure. which is phenomenal. Um, you can't do that in a film. There's not to say there's not a film version of the story that unfolds in this play, but the idea that this one actor could be transforming between these different characters Playing her own mother, playing her daughter, playing her three husbands—all these things—that's a theatrical experience. That there's just no uh, cinematic equivalent to that. You know, so you know, I think really when we're talking about the fundamental differences between playwriting and screenwriting, we're talking about the experience that you ultimately want the audience to have with the story that you're telling. That, that makes
2: that, make that okay. makes a, a lot of <laughs> sense. And also, I mean, sometimes uh, I, I ask writers to remember that that writing film is a luxury how wonderful that they get a camera that goes where they want absolutely or they get to cut into another scene yes so many writers want to stay in one place and i'm like but you get to move if uh, you know i you know remember from my theater days you know if people what people struggling to make those those lighting transitions so that it looked like a different place right or a different time right you get to write cut too, and you're there. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's
0: great, and and you know, and this is, is probably something something you teach as well, which is you know, when 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 I'm working with especially with screenwriting students on revision and doing scene work again, you know, and they're struggling, the scene's not working. I said, okay, you know, let, let's again again get to the core of what the scene's about. What's the narrative objective you as the writer in the scene? What are the objectives of the individual characters? Again, exactly what we're doing in the context of playwriting as well. But I'll say but we're writing a movie and are you taking full advantage cinematically of what could be conveyed through image here? Are you taking full advantage of the, like you talked about, the location? You know, great exercises to take a very intimate scene, like, you know, Pilar and I are a couple, we're having a terrible argument and everything. And we've experienced this in real life, which is you're walking down the street and you see a couple having a really intimate moment. What What's engaging, it's terrible to say, what's fascinating by that is it's happening in a public space. And so sometimes I'll say is, look at your scenes that take place in a private locale, a bedroom, a hotel room, whatever. And potentially what it really needs is it needs to be on the subway platform. It needs to be at the restaurant, whatever it is. Um, and suddenly all these things open up about that this intimacy is now shared with others. You know,
2: that's, um, a great, that's a great tip in and <laughs> of itself, just to sort of move the location because you can. Huge, yeah. Stephen, this has been great. I wish I wish we could talk more. This has Thank been really, really, really cool. I'm so glad to have seen you after all this time. I know. Um, and I me want too. People, I want people to be able to go check out your website sure. and see what you have to offer. So, what's the best place for them to do that?
0: Um, well, let's think about this. So they could email me at hancockparkfilms@gmail.com. Okay. Uh, I'm in the process of constructing a website right now so they could get on my mailing list, That's which would be a good great. idea. Um, and then sort of stay in touch. I mean, obviously, I'm still teaching at UCL Extension, so if anything I've said today uh, it sounds interesting to them. They can catch me there, too. Um,
2: what but, about your music? I did not mention yes, you as a musician, yes, but, and, and I, as a rocker.
0: I, 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 yeah, I, I've played music for years. Uh, it's been a great creative outlet. It even it predates me writing film and television and theater. But yeah, I made an album with my band called Whatever Pleases You. It's available on iTunes and CD Baby and Amazon and all these places. So uh, if they're into sort of uh, Beatles, Elvis Costello, Power Pop, I think they'd enjoy it.
2: Who's not into that? Come on. <laughs> and then I saw a picture of your of your oldest daughter on Facebook rocking out with a guitar. Yes. Is that right? I have a
0: house of musicians full of instruments. And yeah, it's, That's it's pretty awesome.
2: Fantastic. Awesome. This is Oh, cool. so we'll we'll chat more off mike but nice. again thank you for being here thank you for having me. um i want to thank two. uh we got another donation another donation from lon thomas of 25 dollars thank you so much lon uh you are truly a friend of the show and i believe i i thanked her on another podcast but i think that was the podcast that got screwed up so i'm going to thank her again charmaine de Gratte. Uh, donated fifty dollars, and I also want to say congratulations to her. She just made the semifinals of the Austin Screenwriting Competition.
0: It's a great. I I was the final. It's a great competition. It is a great competition,
2: yeah. and that's. I'm waiting for the others to 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 email me too because usually there's a couple on the page semifinalists yeah. at Austin, and it's it's really exciting. Yeah. I also want to uh, say congratulations. We have four. Uh, Nickel Fellowship semifinalists That's that awesome. are in the On the Page Private Writers Groups, which I'm really, really just, just I don't know. I it's just like for me, yeah. I feel like it's Christmas. You know, there were seven that were quarterfinals.
0: That is so cool. What a testament to to what you do. Yeah, I yeah, right? like make it all about me. <laughs> I'm just
2: sitting there and basking in their glory. Um, so uh, remember that. Let's see if you're listening to this now. Oh, ooh, if you're listening to it, it's coming out on Friday. And that is the day before the first draft class happens here at the studio. So you have one day, possibly, to sign up if it's not full, because I only take 25 people now. So go to onthepage.tv, check out the first draft class if you're in L.A. I'd love for you to be here at the space in the the new studio, new classes. Um, Also, uh, remember to go to the Facebook page, and you can find out what's going on there as well. Nick, uh, should people follow you on Twitter?
1: I'm on Twitter. I I tweet every so often. But, um, <laughs>
2: how sure. about let's, How about should we change this to? And if you would like to give Nick a job in development as a creative executive or an assistant producer, <laughs>
1: that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. Ready to yeah, ready to move on to the next step in uh, my career. So then you we'll can see.
2: tweet him at
1: at needs the boss.
2: At Needs a Boss. Needs it's so boss. funny because you, you were at Needs a Boss and you got a boss.
1: Right, I know.
2: And now you still I still keep need I don't, a boss. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Now I need a new boss.
0: Yeah. That,
2: that must have been sort of Freudian on your part. Like, I'm going to s- just stay Needs a Boss yeah, exactly. because I don't know if I'm going to stay. I yeah, think exactly. there's
0: a reality show in this, Nick, to be honest with you. We just follow you with that. That title's awesome. So.
2: Well, do you know Nick is famous? Uh, he held up a sign at the corner of uh, Wilshire and Santa Monica right across the street from CAA. Big sign. Nick, I uh, remember that. Dressed
0: in oh, really? a suit. Yes. Yeah, he was a whole article, like in the, I think, in the Times of this. That's so. neat. Oh, well, I didn't
1: realize that. Was a, <laughs> yeah. A, a, a couple people did it. A couple people did it. So okay. They were, they so were like,
2: copying you. So. Were you the you first, next He was this? the first. Well, and, I
1: was inspired by a guy in Denver, Colorado, who oh, did it. okay. So.
2: But he was in Denver. Never mind. Okay. Never mind. I remember Shoot. this. Thing. You know what? This story is now, you are the pioneer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, like so, it, yeah. so if you're looking for Nick, he's on the corner of Monsieur uh, in Santa Monica, looking for a new job.
1: Uh, <laughs> Maybe.
2: <laughs> um, I thanks again, thank Stephen. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, everybody out there. Thank you for listening, and have a good writing week.